Please allow me a moment of your time prior to this week's trivia round as we have some exciting news. You may have noticed some slight changes on our end as we have transitioned from Travel Down Wander to Malcolm Media. In truth, this change was a long time coming as we have grown into much more than just a travel-specific niche. If you're interested in travel, fitness, photography, and the daily lives of a few 20-somethings trying to figure it out, you can follow us on Instagram at Seth Malcolm Media. My profile pic sound is of me taking a picture, which doesn't sound quite as epic as I thought it would, but oh well. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Travel and Trivia, a podcast for curious travelers eager to embark on their next adventure. You might be asking yourself, but Seth, why airports? Isn't that a pretty specific topic? To which I answer, yes, but there's a lot to learn. Unless you're a frequent flyer or pilot, you likely can think back to a time when you were uncomfortable or anxious inside the confines of a massive airport terminal. Where is my gate? Do I need to take my shoes off? Does my cell phone count as a large electronic? How big can my carry-on really be? If you're not, podcast listeners, I can promise you two things after listening to this week's episode. Some of your questions will be answered, and new ones will undoubtedly pop up. A reminder, there will be just over 30 seconds to answer each question. So, if you're impatient like me, feel free to skip ahead. Let the round begin. Question 1. Ah, the carry-on. A magical piece of luggage crammed into a teeny tiny package somewhere in the range of 21 inches by 14 inches by 9 inches. If you can somehow jam 5 days worth of clothes into it, you're a hero. Well, at least in the eyes of your traveling partner. You can ditch the check bag check-in and head straight for TSA. But wait, you better do a final check to make sure your bag is fit for carry-on travel. Which of the following items is not allowed in your carry-on luggage? A. A mini bottle of 151 proof rum. B. Antlers C. Artificial skeletal bones or D. Baby food And the answer is A, a mini bottle of 151 proof rum. Interestingly, size is not the issue here. As a matter of fact, anything over 140 proof isn't even allowed in a checked bag. Although the Code of Federal Regulations doesn't provide a specific reason why, I would suspect it has to do with the highly flammable nature of high proof spirits. Question 2. Raise your hand if you've ever arrived criminally early for a regularly scheduled domestic flight. I'm talking about the kind of early that forced you to go to bed at 7pm the night before and has now left you with 4 hours to kill at the gate waiting on a plane that's still in the sky somewhere overhead. Don't worry, I raised my hand too. But we've gotten better about estimating just how much time we need at the airport. According to USA Today, how long before your domestic flight should you arrive? Is it A, 30 minutes, B, 1 hour, C, 2 hours, or D, 45 minutes?
And the answer is C, two hours. This recommendation is based on travelers having enough time to get dropped off or park their cars, check bags, and get through security to their gates. However, there are always exceptions to the rule, and in reality, every airport is slightly different. For example, when we fly out of Flint or Grand Rapids, we typically shoot for under two hours. Why? A smaller airport, fewer people, and less busy, thus leaving us no need to show up much earlier. Question 3. True or false? Contrary to what the movie industry might lead you to believe, it is impossible to get sucked out of an airplane window. is false but don't go canceling your next flight just yet here's why i could only find two instances of a person being quite literally sucked out of a window both of which involve pilots in front windshield shatters passenger plane windows are purposefully shaped to keep the pane in place during flight each window functions as a wedge so when pressure outside increases the window plugs itself against the body of the aircraft question four in this example, we'll pretend you're about to fly out of an airport you've never been to before, and it's massive. You give yourself two hours, check a bag, make it through security, and find your way to the gate without much incident. Although it was a long walk, but how did you get there so easily? What is the term for how airports control the chaos of thousands of passengers with the use of static panels, digital kiosk, and signage? And the answer is wayfinding. Airports are vast and complex facilities where operators need to communicate quite a lot of information to each passenger. The information has to be clear, timely, and relevant. This mixture of text, icons, and colors works together seamlessly to funnel each passenger through all airport filters and leave you arriving at your gate stress-free. Next time you fly, take note of the wayfinding around you and try to imagine you have a different destination or need to find a place to grab a quick bite. Likely, there'll be signs pointing you in the right direction regardless of where you happen to be. Question 5. Commercial airport runways need to be built correctly and maintained properly in order to safely service the tens or hundreds of daily takeoffs and landings. I was surprised to find out there isn't one standard runway length. In fact, many factors are at play here. Typical aircraft size and elevation, among others. What is the numerical difference between the longest commercial runway in the world and the shortest? A. 500 feet B. 15,500 feet C. 1,500 feet Or D. 750 feet
And the answer is 15,500 feet. Both Shigats Peace Airport in China and Ulyanovsk Voskhodny Airport in Russia are 5,000 meters or 16,404.2 feet long. Why the extra length? Situated above 12,000 feet in elevation, both of these airports are literally in thin air, meaning a reduced amount of lift on the aircraft. To combat this, the aircraft need to generate more speed on the ground, thus the longer runway. So what about the shortest? Well, that title goes to the Westray Airport in Scotland with a runway length of 291 meters. The airport has become famous for having the shortest regularly scheduled flight between Westray and Papa Westray at around one and a half minutes. Question 6. Aviation was born in America. Since the Wright brothers' first flight, the country has had an eye on the sky. What state has the world's oldest continuously operated airport? And the answer is Maryland. Maryland's College Park Airport has been operating since 1909 when Wilbert Wright himself established it. Its original purpose was to serve as a training location for Wilbur to instruct military officers on how to fly. Civilian aircraft began flying there as early as 1911. Close that door. I think it's better for our sound quality overall. Booney, we can't be having your scuttling pause. Okay, that little clickety-clack-clacking. Welcome to the seventh question stretch. Before we get into airports and stories on airports, Chloe's going to go ahead and provide you with a quick life update. About what? <laughs> what have we been doing for the past month going, arguably, most people tell me we're crazy. Sometimes I feel crazy. Um, we're currently training for, well, I'm training for a marathon, so I'm training for a half marathon in May. So we've been working out a lot with a hybrid training program. Two a days, twice a day. We're there in the morning, we're there at night. It's basically what we do. But if you're interested in that type of content, that type of journey, I've been posting everything on my social media pages, uh, TikTok, Instagram, etc. under Seth Malcolm Media. So check it out. Yeah, you can watch us die a little bit inside every day. Or get inspired, Chloe, or get inspired. Did I think that I would come up with enough questions for today's episode after I got very, I'll say, specific with this episode? I was questioning myself. And to the listener, I guess they don't know if I did or not. However, spoiler alert, yes, we have enough questions for this week. So this is big, Chloe, and we had a question covering it. Time to get to the airport. The arrival time at the airport. What? Which one are you? Are you the? Are you the early? Early? Are you the run into the gate? Where? Where are you at? I know where we're at now. Where did you start? Well, I started traveling with my parents, and my dad is a worry war, and he wants to be on time to things. So I believe it was back in 2014. Uh, we were taking an international flight to Punakana. And we had a pretty group, big group going with us, too. But we got to the airport at midnight for our 7.30 a.m. flight. 
because my dad was like, eh, it'll be better if we just sleep in the airport versus sleeping for like three to four hours and then driving to the airport. I don't think there was like a winter storm or anything going on. This was March. <laughs> but he was like, yeah, let's just do that. We were the only ones at the airport <laughs> in Detroit. <laughs> I guess that's one way that you can do it. And you're and nothing was open so it's not like i could go hang out in the store for like a little bit it was horrible no chick-fil-a no chick-fil-a yeah that's one extreme but where are we now seth i would say we're on the not like we're not ever in a rush we're there early enough but we've gotten to know our local airports well enough um in times of year to be like Oh, Flint, yeah, probably give us 45 minutes and we'll be good. Um, Grand Rapids, probably similar. Detroit, I feel like they have the capacity where you could actually get through there pretty fast, but we're always uh, traveling there on the holidays, so we probably are in that. Not two hours like it recommends, hour, hour 15 maybe. I don't mind having a little bit of time to twiddle my thumbs and ride the, um, the what are they called? What are the... Oh, oh my gosh. We were going to talk about that. That reminds me. Not the train thing. Not the train thing. The people movers. The little, um, the walking, moving floors. What are, is that what they're called? I don't know. It's like a flat escalator. (laughs) (laughs) Regardless, everybody knows what I'm talking about. It goes like three miles an hour. You start walking on there. You're going like seven miles an hour. You feel like you're just hauling. Quick uh, public service announcement, I suppose. Uh, There is a walk side of that. And then there is a stand side of that. Do not. Stand on the walk side. Do not walk on the stand side. That is the one thing that just grinds my gears in airports. <laughs> I hate it. I know, but you get a mix of people who are like the people who have been there for a day waiting for their flight. And then the us who are getting there reasonably in time. And then the rushers at the end. So you got to kind of understand that some people might not be as in a rush as others. But yeah, just just follow the rules. Follow the um wayfinding if you will there's signs there's things everywhere you can't get lost in an airport this should be noted i probably should have mentioned it prior to any of the in airport activities um and time required and all that but when you're going to an airport you're going to have a few options as to where to park um there's a cell phone lot if you're just picking somebody up uh, maybe you got 30 minutes in there i think some of them are 15 you're not really supposed to stay there too long you've got short-term parking um which is a similar situation um into like a couple of days or like hours then you have long-term parking uh you're leaving for a week or a month or whatever and you can park in there for a certain rate usually the short term very expensive the long term you get like a break and you might even hit a max at some point at most airports a few years ago we left out of detroit to fly to florida and i was going with my parents And we hadn't flown out of Detroit uh, very many times, so weren't super familiar. It was super early in the morning. I didn't really look at anything. I didn't really think anything of it. But my dad goes ahead and uh, pulls us into a parking garage. Um, We get the little ticket deal. And everything's good to go. We got a spot. There's tons of spots. Um, I'll point that out. There's a lot of spots. Park. We're right there. We're like real close to the terminal. Everything's sweet. We get back from the trip, which was great, by the way. And he goes to... uh, you like exchange your card for however much you owe it's like four hundred dollars and we were only gone for like four days what the heck is going on it turns out he parked in the short-term parking and it was just racking up like hourly money on that thing we learned our lesson and i think he's a little bit gun shy i'm parking now so he like double triple checks i'll speak for me Chloe, but i feel like you feel similarly 
I love flying. I mean, I thought it maybe would have lost its luster uh, when you like get a little older or whatever. But if I don't get a freaking window seat on that aircraft, I'm upset. Like I could just look out the window. Clouds are not not really knowing where I am, although well, I'll get into it in a second. Some of the nicer airlines have that cool thing where you can like track approximately where you're at. So I'll be like, oh, that's uh, Memphis over there or whatever. Okay. Nice airlines versus budget airlines. Now I can't say this with any certainty. This is strictly off of my own anecdotal evidence. I've experienced more turbulence on budget airlines than I have on say your higher end, your deltas and your Americans and standard ones. Is that, I do I feel, is that bad for saying that? Like, do they get a worse like path through the air? Like your spirit air is going to get you to Las Vegas, but you're going through act to get there. I don't know. And someone that deals with a lot of motion sickness, not a fan of the turbulence. That was probably the worst experience I've had on an aircraft was the turbulence with the Spirit Airlines. I just had like a like a PTSD flashback to that thing because like we're in the Spirit Air aircraft and it's a 737. It's the same as Delta, but I don't know how you make the seats any smaller. I mean, the seats are tiny. I'm jammed in this thing. Legs, everything. I can't even move. We're sitting next to somebody, so my arms are like sucked against my body. My armpits are sweating so bad just from touching like on my own body. I'm, I'm gross at this point. We've been traveling all day. I'm wearing my hiking boots, which probably smell. I can't take those off. I'm uncomfortable as it is. And then we hit the worst, do you call it a batch? Do you call it a, a, the worst turbulence I've ever experienced? I mean, my, my belly was going up into my throat. My throat was going down in my belly. I was like looking at my watch because I knew about what time we should arrive. Not that you would know on Spirit because there's not a monitor or anything in front of you. I don't even know if there's a stewardess. That sounds horrible. They they do a nice job for the money, but <laughs> it was bad. I remember getting like when we were on the ground, it was like white knuckling and then relax. I was on edge for so long. And so were you. You were like eyes closed doing breathing exercises like you're doing Pilates or something to like try and like bring it down. Yeah, that was I think I had the air fully blasted because it's best to be cold if you're experiencing motion sickness. But that was I mean, it was like 40 minutes of that. It's not just like a couple minutes of what we're what we've experienced in the past, but we survived. (laughs) We made it. Yeah, which brings us nice segue, Chloe, into our next point. When you land, and this is another thing maybe that I just love about flying, and probably most people do. When you land at a destination, let's say um, you've never been there before, or you're from you know somewhere else out of the country, and you land into this place, the airport is your first introduction to what this area is, uh, what it has to offer, what it means, what's important to them, everything. So you drop into Las Vegas, you walk out of your gate. And the first thing you see is a slot machine or like 10. I, I mean, there was like a whole row of them. Yeah, that was wild. I mean, I guess I should have expected that, but it was just a cool thing. Um, another example would be uh, we flew into Lexington. Uh, that's a smaller airport, but uh, we've talked about Kentucky on the podcast before. I believe we had a question about bourbon and that kind of thing. <laughs> so... Oh, we're- <laughs> Quick pause. I'm sorry. We'll be right back. Fun! Hey! I don't even know if we're making any sense in this thing, but okay, so our dog, one dog, Thunder. After dinner, he'll grab the food bowl, and then he'll flip it over, and it's metal. And so he'll just run it around the house. So we got wood floors, and it's just like, 
me, me, me. I can't even make like the metallic noise, but you can just imagine the most annoying thing you've ever heard and trying to like think and then talk and then do anything else. Well, that's just what happened. <laughs> Sorry, Chloe. Fire away with Kentucky Bourbon Store. Well, that was basically it. <laughs> I mean, there was a store for bourbon and they had like a huge wall decorated for Kentucky bourbon, that kind of thing. But embodying the area. Yes, embodying the area. Who came up with that? That's That was really good that you just came up with that right there on your own. Yeah, it was in my notes. I digress. And, and now, back, back to, to the, the trivia. trivia. Question seven. Some international air transport location identifiers make total sense. Denver is D-E-N. Atlanta is A-T-L. But others, others just get downright weird. Why on earth is Vancouver Y-V-R? I thought the letters were just borrowed from the longer name. According to the International Air Transport Association, what does letter X stand for in Los Angeles's LAX and Portland's PDX? Answer is nothing. Prior to the 1930s, airports had two letter codes. When codes switched to three letters, many airports added the X of no meaning simply to satisfy the requirement. Today, X is used as a placeholder when all the good names are already taken. Take Dubai, for example. They surely would have loved DUB, but Dublin has long had that name, so they ended up with DXB. Question 8. In this question, let's assume you've spent five days traveling internationally in Mexico. On the last day of your trip, you make sure to arrive at the airport early to snag as many deals as you can at the duty-free shop in your chosen Mexican airport. You rack up quite a bill buying a bottle of alcohol, perfume, sunglasses, and tobacco products. In total, you've spent $800, but you're happy with your purchases. After all, they were duty-free. When you arrive back in the U.S. and pass through customs, Will you owe a tax on the goods you purchased in Mexico? And the answer is no, but keep in mind that it was only for this very specific example. An article by the New York Times examined just what duty-free means and how it can trip up so many naive travelers. In the U.S., if you're carrying items purchased outside of the country, you may qualify for a personal exemption, which is often in the amount of $800. So essentially, you can spend up to $800 at that duty-free without having to pay duty upon returning to the U.S. However, there are still several rules you should be aware of. The next $1,000 worth of items you bring back are subject to a flat rate tax of 3%. Digging deeper, there are also limits on the number of items you bring back. For example, you're only allowed to bring back one liter of alcohol and it must be for personal use. Keep in mind the law of the state you land in will prevail in this case. So, if it's more strict, you will have to adhere to it. 
If you'd like to learn more before your next trip, check the reference link in the show notes. Question 9. True or false? When traveling, airports offer the best currency exchange rates. And the answer is false. Generally, airport currency exchange kiosks offer some of the worst exchange rates you'll find. Why? Welcome to the I know what you need and I have it so I can charge you more and get away with it scheme. They bank on the fact that you'll need local currency for transportation, shops, etc. So where should you exchange currency to get the best rate? Check your local bank. They often offer the best exchange rates. As a bonus, you'll get the money exchange thing out of the way well before your trip. One less thing to worry about. Question 10. In November of 1971, a nondescript man wearing a black suit brought a one-way ticket from Portland to Seattle on Flight 305. On that day, he would become a legend in his own right as he pulled off the impossible. His crimes remain the only unsolved air piracy case involving a commercial airline. Who was he? And the answer is D.B. Cooper. Well, that's what everyone calls him anyway. The truth is, no one knows who he actually was or even if he lived to tell about it. After boarding the flight in Portland, D.B. quietly handed a stewardess a note indicating his briefcase held a bomb. He demanded four parachutes and 200000 in $20 bills. Upon landing in Seattle, the 36 passengers were exchanged for the money and the parachutes. Cooper then ordered the crew to set a course for Mexico City. Now, well into the night, the hijacker did the unthinkable. Somewhere between Seattle and Reno, Nevada, he jumped with his ransom money. His ultimate fate remains a mystery to this date. So, what happened to Cooper? Some say he didn't survive the jump. Others claim he was actually Richard Floyd McCoy, a suspect who hijacked an airplane five months later. More than 50 years later, the story hasn't lost its intrigue as we come to grips with the fact we may never know what happened that fateful night. In the event of a tie, or if you're looking to earn a little extra credit, here's today's bonus question. Simpleflying.com looked at the flight data for 2022 and developed a top 10 list of busiest airports in the world. Name four of them. And the answers are, from top to bottom, Atlanta, Chicago O'Hare, Dallas-Fort Worth, Denver, 
Los Angeles, Charlotte, New York JFK, Delhi, Istanbul, and Amsterdam. In previous years, the top six had switched spots a few times, but 7 through 10 are completely new for 2022, taking over longtime members such as Beijing Capital, Frankfurt, and London Heathrow. Chloe earned frequent flyer status this week with a very respectable 6 out of 10 and the bonus. Alright folks, that brings us to the end of another episode of Travel and Trivia. We hope you enjoyed testing your knowledge and maybe even pick some up along the way. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to leave us a review. Those really help us out. If you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in today's episode, check the references linked in the show notes. If you haven't already, Follow and share with your traveling friends and follow us on Instagram or TikTok or anywhere else. Next week, we have an exciting new segment. Travel and Trivia is going to be traveling through time. Join us for 2000s Trivia, where we'll cover anything significant or insignificant that may have happened in the years 2000 to 2009 or 10. I haven't quite figured that out yet. Well, what time we're going to actually end the decades. Regardless, we hope you join us next week. As always, we here at Malcolm Media, a.k.a. me, Chloe, and the Bubbas, wish you well on your next adventure. You'll only ever regret the trips you don't take. <laughs>